What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for joining us on the Eden Podcast. My name is Daniel Otondo. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church. And today you're listening to a brand new series of messages called Fresh Start. In this series, we want to help you to gain fresh perspective as you enter into this brand new year. And really, we want to help you to orient your lives around the things that matter most. Thanks so much for being here today. Let's get started. All right, well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's so good to have you today. My name is Daniel Latondo. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church, and I just want to say something real quick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, and this is your first time here at Eden, I'll be standing at the back of the Connect Center at the end of service. I would love to quickly shake your hand, get your name, and say hey really briefly. But thank you so much for being here. Really quickly, also, can we show some love to our music team that leads us every week? They do such an amazing job, and they make it look so simple, uh, but it really takes so much time and effort and planning, and so we're so grateful for the team of people. Mark does an amazing job leading that team. We're grateful for them. If you were here with us last week, you probably noticed that we started a brand new series called Fresh Start, and it is sort of this time of year where we start thinking about a fresh start, and I wonder if you've ever been in a moment where you have thought, man, I really could use a fresh start. Maybe that you are coming off the end of a bad year or a chaotic time of life or maybe a negative event in your life or maybe it was a wonderful time but it was just an opportunity for you to recalibrate your life around the things that you value most. Well, I feel like I have had so many of those moments in my life. One that comes to mind the most was the first time that I had the opportunity to teach the Bible to a group of people. And it happened when I was in college, in my fourth year of college. I didn't say senior year. I said fourth year of college. Um, it was in my fourth year of college, and I was part of this church college group back in Bakersfield, and my college pastor was going to be out of town for the week, and so he asked if I wanted to fill in his place and teach for him. And so I was really excited. At that point, I already determined that I was going to be going into ministry after college whenever that would happen, whenever I could finish and graduate. And so he asked me to come in, and for weeks leading up to that moment, I was preparing I was reading commentary, I was leading, listening to other, past, other preachers who were teaching on that same passage, and I determined in my mind that this was going to be an opportunity for me to impress God with my preaching. And so I prepared, and I was ready to go. The night came around, it was on a Thursday night at about 7.30 in the evening. We had about 50 college kids show up into the room, the doors opened up, we started with music similarly to the way we do here, and the music set was coming to an end, and... It was my time to shine. And so I'm getting a little nervous. I see some people that I really want to impress start showing up, and, and they come into the room, and I get my Bible, and I walk up to the platform, and I kid you not, this was the best five minutes of oratory that anyone had ever heard. Now, keep in mind, I had prepared a 30-minute message to teach people, but the first five minutes were amazing. But at some point, I became so dependent upon my notes that when I got derailed even just a little bit, the whole train of the message began to falter, and it was just this ugly crash of an event. And so what happened at first is I tried to rebound myself, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes you will use words that don't actually make sense. And sometimes you'll try to say things that sound really smart, but they actually have no tangible meaning in real life. And so that's what happened to me. At some point in this message, I just started using all these big theological words that I heard before, but I wasn't really quite sure what they meant. And so I was just, you know, I kind of got faltered off and, and I said, well, the, the theology of the moment was economically despairing 
upon the land and cultural context suggests that perhaps this was the wrong timing. And like nothing made sense. But as that was happening, it was really for me just to cushion the fall of what was really going to happen in just a moment. And so, and so I'm saying all these words, but it's like, it was like an outer body experience except an inner body experience. Because as I was talking, as words were coming out of my mouth, I was actually thinking something else. And I was thinking, this is really going bad. I need to figure out how to land the plane. And so at some point, I made eye contact with the girl that was in the crowd, and she had covered her mouth, and she looked scared, and then that triggered in my head. I thought, okay, this is actually as bad as I think it is. <laughs> and so this is what I decided to do. I said, okay, I have everything written out. I'm going to go to the last page of my notes, and I'm just going to read my conclusion. I don't even care as long as the words are, as long as I'm forming cohesive statements. That's the goal right now. And so I turned to the back of my notes. I just start reading line by line. I read through line one, read through line two, read through line three, and then something happened. I read through line three again, and then I read through line three again, and I just said, I, I couldn't see. And so I kept reading the same sentence over and over again. And at that point, I said, it is time to completely jump off board of this thing. I am praying, and I am just landing this thing. And so I prayed. I ended the service eight minutes in, and... <laughs> And it was seriously one of, the most, it was one of the most embarrassing moments because I had such high expectations of what was going to happen that evening. And I remember waking up the next morning feeling like I was hung over with embarrassment. I remember going to like Home Depot. I forget what I was doing, but I just, a friend called me and they said, hey, how'd it go? I said, it was horrible. I just, I, why did God even let me do this if he knew that I was going to crash this opportunity so poorly? And I remember thinking in that moment, God, I wish I could just have a fresh start. I wish I could just start all over. I could start communicating from a clean slate. And I wonder if some of you have come into this new year with maybe the same kind of perspective that when you think about 2018, it was kind of a weighty year for you. There were a lot of crazy things that happened and you were looking for an opportunity to start fresh with a brand new year. And that is what I love so much about this time of year is that it is an opportunity for us to start fresh. Whether 2018 was a good year or a bad year, what it allows for us to do is it begins to allow for us to recalibrate our lives around the things that we really value the most, the things that we care about the most. And so what we're going to begin doing in this series and what we started doing last week is we tried to approach this year a little bit differently than we've ever done before. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I start recalibrating my life, the first question that I ask is, how can I make me better? How can I make me better? And if you are like me, then you've probably asked yourself the same question. And so maybe you've been hitting up the gym a little bit more frequently this year. So far, maybe you've been saying no to that second piece of chocolate cake. Been cutting down on the ice cream. Maybe some of you have been reevaluating some of your relationships in life, but ultimately what we are trying to do is in this season when we're trying to answer the question, how can I make me better, we're slowly trying to realign our daily habits around the, around the version of who we dream about becoming. We're trying to reorient our lives around the person that we want to be. And so if you've experienced any of these questions, you probably asked yourself that. How can I make me better? How can I get slimmer? How can I get smarter? How can I get out of debt? How can I have healthier relationships? How can I move up in my career? And I love these questions. I actually think they're really healthy questions because it is so important for all of us to be intentional about our own personal development, areas that we can grow in life. 
And so these are not bad questions, but I wonder if this year, if we can approach this year a little bit differently than we've ever approached any year before. And instead of leading with the question, how can I make me better? Maybe we begin this year by asking the question, how can I make the world better? How can I make the world better? And so this is really the question that has been guiding this entire series so far since we started last week. We said, how can we make the world better? Because the conclusion that we came to, that if we want 2019 to be us coming in this year as the best version of ourselves, it is not going to be because we are asking the question, how can we make me better? But actually, it's because we are going to figure out how we can make a difference in the world. How can we make the world a better place? And maybe more importantly, not just how we can make the world a better place, but how can we make someone's world a better place? Because there's no one person in this room that can change the world by ourselves, but every single one of us can get on the adventure of helping to make an impact in someone else's life. And so this is a great conversation so far. We're dreaming about how we can change the world. But I feel like whenever you talk about these things, there's always a pressing question. How do you execute? How can we actually make a difference in someone else's world? And so some of you might remember again also that last week we were in a conversation. We were looking in the book of Nehemiah. That's an Old Testament book. And it is really the personal journal of Nehemiah and how he was able to make a difference in the world. And Nehemiah was one of those guys that lived an extraordinary life. And the beginning of his journey and the place where we picked up in the book was Right at the beginning, we read chapter 1, and that was where Nehemiah was introduced to this group of people that were living in Jerusalem at the time, and they were part of the population of Jews that moved from Persia into Jerusalem to help rebuild Jerusalem after they had been taken into captivity under the government and the leadership of the Babylonian Empire. And so this group of people, they leave Jerusalem, they come to Susa, which is the capital of Persia, which was where Nehemiah was living at the time. And they approached him because they needed some help. And in Nehemiah's mind, he was thinking that all the Jews that had moved back into Jerusalem were living in prosperity. They were rebuilding the culture. They were rebuilding the city. And it had been about 70 years. And so as this group of people come to Nehemiah, he was shocked by the news that they gave him because they announced to him, they let him know that the city has actually been in distress that the walls had been torn down, the gates were burned by fire, the people were completely under attack. And so it was shock for Nehemiah because he assumed that these people were living in prosperity, but actuality, they were living in poverty. And we're told that it actually broke his heart, and in this moment, he led a movement of people back into Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city and to reestablish that community of people. But it all began at the moment that his heart was broken. It all began at that moment when he heard that news and he couldn't just sit on it, but he had to do something about it. And so this really has been the question that we've been asking ourselves over the last week. I sort of challenged you with that. I said, sit on this question. What is the thing that breaks your heart? What breaks your heart when you think about? And another way of asking this question is to ask, what do you want people to line up and thank you for at the end of your life? What is the thing that you want people to line up and thank you for at the end of your life? What breaks your heart? As you look around the community, as you look around our culture and our nation and our world, what is the thing that constantly keeps reemerging itself into your heart and into your mind? 
What is the thing that captures your emotion? What is the thing that when you have free space to think about anything, this one thing keeps coming to mind in your heart? There are so many things, so many needs in our world, but there are a few things that really capture your attention. And I think that a lot of us don't actually like to think about the thing that breaks our heart. Right? It's kind of hard. It's hard to think about things that really hurt us on the inside when we realize that there is a reality that is taking place and and something needs to be done about it. But a lot of us don't like to think about it because as soon as we come to the realization of the very thing that breaks our heart, we know that we have to do something about it. It's going to require something of us. It may require money. It may require missed opportunities. It may require giving up things that you value. It may require time. Ultimately, all of these things, it is going to require a bit of your life to do something about. And I don't think that this meshes very well with some of our own natural instincts, right? Because you by nature and me by nature, we are what we call life preservers. We want to preserve our life. That is probably why every single one of you drove, to here, this, drove here this morning and you put on your seatbelt because you want to protect your life. Every single one of you were probably driving in a car that has airbags. Maybe not everyone, but we all prefer to drive in vehicles with airbags. Every one of us loves to stock our refrigerator with food because we are life preservers. You're a life preserver. I am a life preserver. And it's this one truth that is true about every single one of us that creates a tension when we try to embrace the very thing that breaks our heart. Because in that process, when you submit, when you say, yes, I will pursue the thing that breaks my heart, it will cost you a little bit of your own life. It'll cost you a little bit of the things that you value. It will cost you the things that you think make you unique. And what's interesting about this tension in our lives is that Jesus actually talks a lot about this tension in the Gospels and the biographies of his life that are found in the New Testament. And so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at one of the four biographies of Jesus' life where he talks about this very specific tension that every single one of us wrestles with. And so go ahead and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 14.25 or your phones. And if neither, we will have every sentence listed here on the screen. That's Luke 14.25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And so you know that Jesus attracted a lot of people in the time that he was engaged in ministry. And so there were people that would show up to some of the events that he was hosting. But there were a lot of people who also traveled with him. So this meant that there were hundreds of people not just showing up to these events, but they were like following Jesus' tour bus from location to location. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you spend a little bit too much time with people you don't know very much, and something snaps, right? Every now and then something just snaps. You say things that you regret. Well, I'm not sure if this is what is happening with Jesus, but he was spending a lot of time with people who needed his attention, and this is what happens. It says, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, so let's just pause there for a moment. I feel like if that were me making those statements, I was about to say something that I would soon regret. Now, I say a lot of things that I regret, not on purpose, but I just wonder if Jesus was sort of getting frustrated with hanging around so many people that pretty soon now he's like getting angry and he's wanting to thin the crowd 
a little bit because in my mind, I assumed that everyone was like having this really good time. They were following Jesus. They weren't out on the farm working the ground. They were watching Jesus perform all these miracles. A lot of times Jesus would provide food for them. And so this was an exciting thing to be a part of. But I wonder if Jesus was getting a little bit, of, a little bit tired of this crowd just leeching on him. And so it would have been shocking to them to hear Jesus say these words, right? For anyone who wants to follow me, they must reject, they must hate their most significant relationships in life. You have to hate them. How many of you have seen this in a meme on social media? No one, right? Nobody's out there talking of like in a daily devotional trying to encourage you, hey, this is one of Jesus's most top 100 encouragements. So hate your father, hate your mother, hate your sister, hate your brother. So what on earth is Jesus talking about when he's telling this crowd of people to do these things? Because some of us are sitting here listening to this and we're thinking, I'm trying to love my family. And that's really difficult. And now Jesus is giving me permission to hate them. And something about this just doesn't sound right. And so what is Jesus talking about? Obviously, he is not talking about hating these people. Because so much of what Jesus talks about is the exact opposite, right? The central message of Jesus is love. Love your neighbor. Love those who hate you. Love is the greatest gift that we can have. Love will be the defining characteristics of anyone who identifies themselves with me. So obviously Jesus wasn't talking about hating them emotionally, but what he was talking about was positioning him in a place of priority above the most significant relationships in your life. He was talking about positioning himself in a place of priority over the most significant relationships in your life. And so ultimately, it was Jesus pushing the pressure to make him the authority of everything else. And this is why Jesus had to address that. Because in that culture and during that time, your family made a lot of life-altering decisions for you. They told you where you were going to live. They told you who you were going to date. They told you who you were going to marry, what kind of job you would have, what kind of education you would have, how many kids you were going to have. Your family during that time dictated so many important life decisions. And so what Jesus was saying, knowing that in this crowd, in this community, he's saying, I have to become before the most significant relationships in your life. And you can imagine how offensive this would have been to this community of people. But he carries on. And Jesus, in verse 26, it said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So he's saying it's not just your family, but it is even your own life. Because what it meant to be a disciple was someone who was willing to orient their entire lives to become like someone else. You were learning from a teacher. You were a disciple of a teacher. And so you began, you submitted yourself to their thinking and their teaching and the way that they encountered the world around them. And pretty soon the goal was for you to begin mimicking your life around their life. And so Jesus is saying that is what it requires to follow me. If you want to be my disciple, it is going to require your complete commitment to following after me. And he says, if you are not willing to do that, then this person, such a person, cannot be my disciple. So in the process of following Jesus, we are denying ourselves. And this is really difficult 
Because we live in a culture in a lot of ways that says to build up yourself, to invest in yourself, to focus in yourself, to brand yourself. We even have this really popular thing. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's called YouTube. (laughs) It's all about you, right? It is about telling your story so everyone will look. And I actually have a YouTube page. Would love for you guys to subscribe to it. Um, No, I don't. But actually, and I'm not saying that any of this is wrong or bad. But I am saying that when Jesus tells us to make him the priority of our lives, we are going to feel a little bit of tension in that because of the trend in the flow of our culture. And so the tension that Jesus is wanting people to face in this moment is the decision to decide once and for all who is going to lead your life. And ultimately what he's saying is that you can't say that I'm a follower of Jesus and mom and dad are making all of your decisions for you. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to let my spouse dictate my spiritual life. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but God, I want to have the final say over this area of my life. You can say what you want about everything else. I want you to influence how I work and all these things, but there's this little area of my life where, God, I'm not going to give you access to it. Jesus is saying it doesn't work like that. That if you want to follow me, I have to take priority in your life. And then he makes an even more provocative statement in verse 27. He says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So not only do you put me in authority over your life, but I'm also going to ask you to live a life of sacrifice. And Jesus uses the symbol of a cross. And and in that time, a cross would have represented a death device. It would have been equivalent to like a modern-day electric chair. Like that is where people died. And so Jesus is saying, you have to take up your cross. In other words, he is saying that if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. You can come to the rallies. You can eat the free food. You can be a traveling buddy. You can travel with me on my missions. You can show up to all these things. But if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to be willing to die to yourself to be in part of this relationship. In other words, he's saying this statement that probably sounds really, really intense to each of us. It almost sounds overboard because what it feels like Jesus is saying is that we have to give up all the things in our life that we love just to be in a relationship with him. We have to give up all the things about who we are characteristically that make us unique if we want to be in a relationship with him. And I think that for many of us, maybe in the room today, this even feels a little bit discouraging. And I think that there's actually a lot of truth to that, that Jesus is asking us to give up a few things to follow him. In fact, he's asking us to give up our lives to follow him, but we have to trust that what Jesus is asking us to give up is nothing compared to what he promises to give us in the process. That it is nothing compared to what he intends to bless our lives with if we are willing to let go of the thing that we think brings us the most happiness. If we are letting go of the thing that we think defines our identity. You have to trust in God in this moment to give up what we have now to gain what he has for us in the future. There's a story of a little monkey in the jungles of the Amazon. And the way that they would catch this monkey is they would create this very simple device that was just big enough. It was like a, it was a box 
And it was big. They cut a little hole in it, big enough, just enough for the monkey to stick its hand through. And they would place something in there that the monkey wanted, so some kind of food. And so the way that they would catch these monkeys is that they would place something in the box bigger than the hole that it could pull it out through. And what was interesting is the monkey would stick its hand in there, grab the item, and try to pull out its hand. And it couldn't get out. And the bizarre thing is that all the monkey really had to do was just let go of the thing. He could pull his hand out, and he would be set free. But the problem is that the monkey loved that thing so much that he was willing to hang on to it even if it cost him his life. And sometimes that is the pattern of our lives. Now, it is not always that clear, but sometimes we are holding on to the things that are holding us back in life. In fact, we are holding on to things that in the end will kill us and destroy the person that God wanted us to become. And so Jesus is saying, the only way to follow me is to deny yourself. And so that means that Jesus has to take priority over your job and your career. Now, this doesn't mean quit your job and cuss out your boss on the way out. Why does everybody laugh? That felt like I I said something that you've thought about before. But it doesn't mean to quit your job, but it does mean that you are going to operate within a way of integrity and character in a way that honors God. Even if no one else in your culture is doing that, even if no one else in your office is doing that, even if it costs you relationships, even if it costs you career advancement, this is what it means to put Jesus first. It means Jesus over relationships. That you are willing to let go of a few relationships in your life if they are not allowing for you to pursue Jesus. If they have more influence over you than you have over them, and they're taking you away from a relationship and walking with God, that's what it means sometimes to put God as the priority. Maybe even Jesus over your emotions. No matter how many times you want to cuss people out in the parking lot of Santana Row, during the holidays, you don't do it. It means putting Jesus first. And this is what we learn in this passage. That's the essence of following Jesus is not self-improvement, it is actually self-denial. The essence of following Jesus is not self-improvement, it is actually self-denial. Because to deny yourself is to say no to you and yes to something that Jesus has that is far greater than you and more fulfilling than anything that you could accomplish on your own. And I think that this is perhaps the hardest thing to understand, which is one of the reasons why I love being a part of a community of faith like we have here at Eden. Because I feel like every week we get to see people living out this truth, saying no to themselves and yes to doing something bigger than themselves. This last Saturday, we had a guy from our team, Peter Ward, who went and took our broke down truck and we were like having issues with it. And you guys don't know this, but we have issues every single week with something in our equipment. And we have an amazing team of people that problem solve and figure it out. They come here sick because there's no one else to do it. And they show up and they get it done. And we had a guy, Peter Ward, our, church, our truck was kind of broke down last week. And he just, this Saturday, took it to the shop, went and fixed whatever was wrong with it, got the battery taken care of. And now we had a truck ready to go Sunday morning so that all of this could happen. And there are people who are going to be meeting this afternoon, a group of leaders who are leading groups this semester, who are inviting people into their homes, people that they don't know, people that have baggage, people that have drama, and they're like inviting them into their home and they're going to feed them. And and all of us would probably, we live in Silicon Valley, so it'd be nice to have like an extra night off 
because we're tired when we get home, but there's this group of people that are so committed to the vision of what's happening here that they're willing to sacrifice their evenings. They're willing to sacrifice their homes and their money. They're willing to sacrifice their emotional energy just to be engaged with people, to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. And as a community of faith, even though you might not understand that to have true life is to give it away, every week we get to see that happening with people who in every part of our community are some way upholding, giving up the value, giving up things that they would rather do perhaps. And they are finding life in this community. They're finding that when they give, they are actually being filled. And they're not becoming more tired, but they're becoming more energized because of their sacrifice. And that is counterintuitive. But we don't understand that from the outside. That as long as I'm all about me, I cannot be about anyone or anything else. As long as I'm all about me, I can't be about anyone or anything else. And so we wrestle with this question, and we've tried to wrestle with this question of what breaks your heart, because when you can figure out what breaks your heart, it is going to take your eyes outside of yourself. It's going to take your eyes outside of your own struggles, and it's going to cause you to begin looking at how you can make a difference in someone else's life, because at some point, it can't just be about making me better. Because you will get to a point in your life where you will ask the question, does any of this even matter at all? Does any of this even matter? No matter if you've been successful or you feel like you haven't been successful, at some point in your life, you are going to ask the question, what does any of this matter? And if your focus for the, the entirety of your life has been about making you better, then the answer is no, that it doesn't really matter that much. I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing to show, nothing but themselves to show for themselves. And that is not the life that God wants for you. God doesn't want you to come to the end of your life having lived it all for yourself, never having invested in anyone else. And at the end, you were alone. That there is no one lining up to thank you for anything. Because your focus has been all about helping you to get better. So does any of this matter? Jesus says yes. But it isn't found in self-improvement. Because you can be the most self-improved person in the world and still feel utterly empty inside. And I think that maybe some of us are feeling a little bit of tension when we hear this type of conversation. And part of the reason why we feel this tension is because Jesus is calling us to a better life. He's actually calling us to what the Bible calls the abundant life. And the abundant life is the type of life where we are not living with a zero-sum game, but where we understand when we invest, when we give ourselves to something else, it is actually us receiving in the process. The reason why we feel tension is because sometimes we are satisfied with living this type of life. And Jesus is over here trying to pull us along. And we're kind of fighting it. I have two kids, and that is like the tension of my life, getting them in the car and out of the car from point A to point B. It is like dragging them across the grocery aisle. And sometimes that's the tension that we have with Jesus. And he's saying, I have something so much better for you. 
Just ease up on the tension and start walking with me and we'll get there a lot faster. And so the question that we keep coming back to is what breaks your heart? What is the need? What is the issue? What is the challenge that you could get involved in? How can you position your life to start helping and supporting someone else to change their world? And here's the cool thing, that when you figure out what breaks your heart, you position yourself to start helping people. When you decide to carry someone else's burden, you are doing exactly what God did for us. Because when he saw this world, he saw our sin, and it broke his heart. And he didn't just stand by and watch and do nothing, but he sent his son that broke into this world to redeem us for our sins. He sent his son to make a difference. And he is inviting us to do the very same thing with our life. He's inviting us to make a difference in the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that you've provided. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God that has a big vision and a dream for our life. And Lord, that you will continue to knock at the door of our hearts. You'll keep nudging us. You'll send people to speak to us. God, you will put songs on the radio. You will have songs that are speaking to our hearts. Lord, you'll help us to see things on social media that are you speaking to us in a powerful way because you desire so much for our lives. You desire that we would experience the abundant life that you dreamed that we would have when you created us. But Lord, so many of us have become short-sighted with our lives. We've become distracted with all these other things that actually have nothing to do with you. And as soon as we get those things that we always dreamed of having, we realize that they don't satisfy us in the way that we thought they would. And so we keep searching and we go from thing to thing to thing and we feel emptier and emptier at the end of every pursuit. Because what we are really looking for is a relationship with the creator of this world. And God, what we learn in the process is that the more we try to hoard for ourselves, the emptier we feel. And this is why your word is so powerful. Because it tells us things that we could never learn on our own. That the more that we give of ourselves, the more full we will feel. The more at peace we will be. The more confident in you we can become. And so God, I pray that for this community. I pray, God, that as we are on the journey together, that you would give them wisdom about what breaks their heart. What is that thing in their life that they were created to pursue? And God, you would give them the courage and the boldness to begin making a difference in this world, but maybe more importantly, in someone else's life. And that they would do it in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thankful, we're thankful for the hope that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.